0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, October 7th. The confetti has fallen and Alberta has a new premier. We'll break down the results of the UCP leadership election with Laurie Williams, political science professor at Mount Royal University. Professor Williams brings us her thoughts on the path ahead for newly named Premier Danielle Smith and what Albertans can expect to see in the coming months.
1: Next, it's our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Mayor Gondek can give us her thoughts on what a change of premier means for the city of Calgary.
0: And finally, America's gross national debt exceeded 31 trillion dollars for the first time in history we'll head across the border for the latest news stateside with global news washington bureau chief jackson prosco the results are in and there is a new leader of the united conservative party and alberta has a new premier designate to break down the results of last night what to expect from the new premier we're joined this morning by laurie williams political science professor at mount royal university hi laurie hello Thank you for joining us. It took six ballots to get Danielle Smith crowned as the new leader of the United Conservative Party. Now the work begins. So, how does she start to bridge and mend fences within the UCP itself?
2: Well, that's that's the very great challenge. I mean, this is a party that's been been quite fractious since its inception, and for good reasons. Um, and so, it's it's problematic. Um, Uh, for her to try to figure out how to bring those folks together. Um, Those divisions uh, sort of run along a number of lines. rural, urban there's social conservative versus sort of more progressive elements, the law and order folks and the libertarians, uh, those who have been vaccinated, those who are vaccine-skeptical or even anti-vax, and those people don't support the same leader and they don't agree with one another. And now she's gotta try to appeal to all of them having campaigned to one particular faction of the party. Mm
1: -hmm. Laurie, you know with just well less than eighty five thousand people voting in this, this is not indicative of Alberta as a whole. So Does Danielle change, to a certain extent, change her stripes or change her plan to to, to gain larger appeal of the uh, Alberta people when she's got just a little over 200 days before the election, or does she stay the course?
2: Well, she's going to have to make some changes in all likelihood, and that might make it more difficult to hang on to that base that brought her her into the the leadership. And and again, it'll be a real test of her her abilities. Um, So we know that about... um, about three percent-ish of of Albertans voted um, in this leadership election, and about half of them supported Danielle Smith. That tells you that there's a division, a significant one right there. Uh, So now she's got to try to appeal to the other, uh, not just members of the party, she's got to try to appeal to Albertans in general. And that's probably going to mean she's, she's, course been ambivalent somewhat about what this this uh, sovereignty act is going to contain but if she wants to get caucus support and ultimately support of of, uh, albertans in a general election that's going to have to soften a bit Uh, most albertans want strong advocacy for the interests of alberta um, but most albertans don't want this particular version of that advocacy so she's going to somehow bridge that gap
0: I was going to ask you about the, the Alberta Sovereignty Act that she did run on. So is that her first order of business? Does she just, you know, jump right on that and ride it in uh, right to start?
2: Well, she said it's her, her job number one, Bill 1, if you like. Uh, is likely to be something like that. Uh, you know, she's got a few things to do between that one now and then, get a cabinet together um, and and try to put together what the actual wording of the Act is going to be, what it will enable her to do. Um, she has said many times that it is, uh, what she has in mind is constitutional, so she's going to have to work with the with, uh, bureaucracy and legal experts to find something that is constitutional, um, but may have to make some modifications just to generate the support from, from caucus that she needs in order to get it passed. Now, that compromise may put her afield of the, of the very angry voters that, that brought her into the premiership, in in this uh in this election so it, it, it'll be interesting to see if you can bridge that gap
1: i'm gonna throw an idea out here for you lori because the question now is about the future for example as we move ahead of somebody like a brian Jean, unsuccessful ucp candidate for leadership and, and even a travis taves if for example because we have over 200 days a travis taves for example were to break out as an independent, and I'm not sure under which flag, and come out and say, listen, I am a more middle-of-the-road conservative choice. Would that be enough to to disrupt the apple cart as far as, you know, voters are concerned in the end of May of next year?
2: Well, party party unity will continue to be a challenge. I mean, that's obvious. Only about half of the party that voted, voted for Daniel Smith, and they did that on the sixth ballot. That means she was the sixth choice. Um, Or slightly better for some of the people that, that eventually did vote for her and some didn't vote for her at all. Some of those eighty eighty five thousand or nearly eighty five thousand members didn't vote at all for her or for for Travis Taves. Um so I don't think that a split in the party is as likely as it would have been had Taves won. But we know that Taves didn't conduct any interviews. We know that people that were sitting around him, which were made up of most of the folks that um, were uh, in cabinet, the the folks that supported Jason Kenney. Those folks were very disappointed last night. Um, some more moderate uh, conservatives were disappointed in the results last night, and and so the question is, can she she can she persuade them to come on board, them and and their supporters, the people that voted for them, um, the constituents. That represent the writings that some of those, those MLAs and cabinet ministers represent um, because right now it looks like Travis Hayes is going to be hard to win over Lori, you know
0: at this point do you think the NDP do you think Rachel Notley is and has been sort of ramping things up and ready for whoever the leader to be chosen was but particularly if it was Danielle Smith do you think this opens the door a little bit for the NDP because I hear that comment a lot
2: well, there's no question that the NDP has been planning, um, getting their nominations organized, um, planning their strategy, probably for, for exactly how they would approach things, whether it's smith travis Taves or Brian Jean. But polling, a couple of very reputable pollsters whose, whose um, predictions have improved quite accurate in the past, are saying that it would be very difficult for Danielle Smith as things stand today, very difficult for her to get seats in Calgary, Um, You get seats in places like like Lethbridge, Red Deer, Bairdry, even Fort McMurray, according to to, um, that polling. And so she couldn't, if if the election were held today, she couldn't win a general election. That means there's an opportunity both for the NDP and also for Danielle Smith, and this is going to be a really challenge. Uh, sorry, interesting uh, race to follow because we've got two pretty capable campaigners, people who um, are, are capable of sort of uh, of motivating their supporters and and appealing to, to folks who who have some questions about about some of the things that they may be historically associated with. They've both been pretty good at, at uh, persuading people to support them. It's getting momentum going. And so it's going to be really interesting to watch the campaigning that happens between now and the next election. And, of course, that first campaign for Danielle Smith will be to win a by-election.
1: And uh, Danielle has mentioned she isn't interested in the historic Calgary elbow riding, that she has rural ties and rural roots, so that's the way she wants to go could it also be interpreted as that she doesn't want the fight that she might be in for in calgary elbow?
2: Well, there's no question she doesn't want that fight as as uh polling seems to indicate as well she She has trouble in calgary, of course, battleground Calgary could determine the results in the next election uh, and calgary elbow is a fairly progressive riding. It's been represented by by p c candidates uh by moderate conservative candidates and by uh liberal and, and NDP candidates historically. So so we've got a um a, a tougher battle for her in, in Calgary Elbow. And it could be that her refusal to run in Calgary Elbow is is interpreted as a sign of weakness, um, her inability to break through in Calgary or in some of these other regions that I that I just mentioned.
0: Well, it's going to be a very interesting 200-plus days. I'm sure we'll chat again, Laurie. Thank you so much for your time and breaking it down for us this morning. Thank you, Sue. Thanks. Laurie Williams, political science professor at Mount Royal University.
1: The UCP has a new leader, and Alberta has a new premier. What will this mean for Calgary? With insight and reaction, and reaction to the vote last night, we're joined by Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning to you, Madam Mayor. Good morning, Andy and Sue. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us I want to talk uh, about this change in Premier and what it means for the City of Calgary, but in the grand scheme of things, I know we all want to work with our partners, our provincial partners and the the city partners and the towns throughout Alberta, but how much of an impact does a Premier have on the City of Calgary, period?
3: Well, it's important for us to have a Premier that understands what's happening in our city, and it's incredibly important for Council and the provincial government to have a relationship because we're heavily reliant on them for a lot of our funding dollars.
0: So we know Danielle Smith ran on the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Do you think this would be positive for Calgary and Alberta in terms
3: of business, et cetera? Well, I think it's important to understand that she ran on a lot of things. And one of the things that she mentioned quite frequently was that she understood cities weren't getting a fair shake and perhaps we should be able to keep a greater proportion of the property tax that we collect. So that's something I'm incredibly interested in speaking with her about. Um, She has also asked us in the past how we feel about the current EMS dispatch model. Um, There's many things that she wants to talk about. She ran on several things, and those are the conversations I hope to have.
1: You know, you know what, uh, Mayor? We now have a female premier, a female opposition leader in the pro- province, and obviously a female leader here in Calgary. That would be you. How optimistic does this make you for the future of, uh, you know, girls in Canadian politics? to the bottom line, the future of females female women Andy, well,
0: Women, Andy, women. Well, you know, when I say
1: girls, to me, I, I, to me, you know what I think of, Sue, and I'm going to defend <laughs> myself here because that's what I do all the time, is I have, uh, you know, three daughters. And I think in the past, I would have thought that mm-hmm. they didn't think that was a possibility. Doors have been opened by people like you, Jody. What do you think about the state of the province okay. now?
3: Okay, let me give you a nice political bump up, Andy. I think you're both right. I think <laughs> girls see their future and I think women see the present. And I frankly think it's about time we normalize the fact that women can hold all of these roles and many, many more. 100%. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about City Council looking
0: to approve some new zoning for what's being called missing middle housing. What is the missing middle? What, What does that mean?
3: You know, I'm never crazy about labels like that, but essentially what we were getting to is a housing type that is not, you know, high density and it's not single detached or a duplex. It's something in the middle of those things. But it allows people to get creative with what they could put on a lot that traditionally would have been a single detached home. So I'm looking forward to the creativity by which you know we can come up with multiple ways for people to live. And really, it was a, an ability to provide certainty to the community of what they can expect. Right now, um, we've got a messy little place where we do something called a direct control. And that direct control um, has been appealed or it's been attempted to be appealed several times because the community is not getting the amenity space they expect in these places they're not getting the waste and recycling service they're expecting and parking became an issue so we're really trying to make sure the community understands what they can get on a lot like this
1: mayor earlier this week the federal government announced a 15 million dollar clean energy improvement program what does this mean for, for the average calgary homeowner
3: So for homeowners that wish to retrofit uh, their properties to ensure that their windows are better, their doors are better, if they wish to install solar panels, because they're interested in energy efficiency, now they can apply for a loan to get those things done quickly, and they can pay back the loan through their property taxes. And uh, the bump up from the federal government really helps us uh, provide more funding to Calgarians who wish to do these things. So it was very good news.
0: Mayor, also maybe potentially some good news. We're expecting uh, some comments, some news, an announcement coming from WestJet this afternoon. Any any hints as to what it
3: might be? Well, we were pretty excited the other day, and I've lost track of all of the days. I think it was Wednesday. (laughs) Um, There was an announcement from WestJet that they were going to locate their hub here in Calgary. So, you know, from a national perspective to choose our city, that was huge investor confidence. And I believe it was a $7 billion bump up So we're pretty happy to have WestJet here at home. And uh, to be that hub that people fly into for connector flights is really good news.
1: uh, That is good news. And this is the weekend to be thankful, uh, Mayor. So we're going to ask you the question we've been asking all of our guests this morning. The one most important item on the dinner table at Thanksgiving that you can't do without, what is it and why? Stuffing. You're like the third or fourth person.
3: (laughs) Yeah, like you could wipe out all the other stuff as long as I had stuffing and gravy, I'd be happy. Like you don't even need anything to stuff it into; you'd just be happy with the that's stuffing. Me too. I'd be happy with the stuffing, and I'm one of those people. This drives my kid and my husband crazy. I just mix everything together, like throw the cranberries and the corn. <laughs> me and, too. Yeah, that's how, that's how people should eat. It's a smorgasbord cake. on your plate. Yeah.
0: I love it. How are, <laughs> how is the family celebrating? You having a big uh, get together, just the the, the small kind of intimate gathering? What are you doing?
3: Well, I've got a couple of things going on both Saturday and Sunday. Oh, yeah, so you're
0: the I, mayor, I forgot.
3: <laughs> I, you know what? For Thanksgiving, I should have a couple hours to go eat some turkey, so I, I will find that time. I love it. You're always busy, and we thank
0: you for finding enough time to talk to us each week. Have a great weekend. Well, thanks happy for, Thanksgiving.
3: Thanks for having me
0: on on Fridays, and you guys have a happy Thanksgiving as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. For the first time ever, America's gross national debt exceeding $31 trillion. What does it mean for the long-term fiscal outlook stateside? To talk about this and all things American politics, we are breaking down the news with Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. Hi, Jackson.
4: Hi there. Happy Friday.
0: Happy Friday to you as well. I bet you wish you were in Canada for this weekend, right? Well, it is Columbus Day weekend down here, but yeah, I could
4: use some turkey. I could definitely use some turkey.
0: Well, come on up. I'll I'll treat you at my house. I gotcha. Uh, Let's talk about that $31 trillion mark. Astronomical, almost, uh, you know, unfathomable for most. What does it mean for the U.S. and, and the fiscal outlook?
4: Yeah, essentially what's happening is, of course, interest rates are high, climbing higher. The cost of servicing that debt is getting higher and higher at the same time. So uh, it's going to be about an, an extra trillion dollars in debt servicing costs on that. There are, of course, questions about whether this is sustainable in the long term. Lots of concern about that as the global economy cools. But at the same time, that spending, a lot of it, is aimed at doing things like stimulating the economy, uh, things like transitioning the uh, economy to uh, greener uh, fuels and greener resources, and, of course, rebuilding infrastructure, which is something that needs to be done. So a bit of a double-sided coin there.
1: You know, somebody like yourself very much involved, uh, Jackson, with a number like this. who's working in... In the business you do, and we talk about it as well. But I'm wondering, how does it impact the average American? And, and do they even care when it's $31 trillion when it comes to the, uh, the debt? Do, do they care or even wrap their head around that? No, I don't think they do. I think people are more
4: focused on the economy. And when it comes to government spending, they are more concerned with the tax side, of course. And remember that, you know, taxes have been slashed repeatedly. They're, they're certainly not going up in this country, at least not on the average person. Uh, Biden has tried to increase taxes on sort of the wealthiest upper echelon of Americans. But generally speaking, I think most Americans don't uh, don't care much about the debt or deficit situation here.
0: Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the cleanup efforts following Hurricane Ian? Uh, It was a devastating storm. Uh, What's been kind of offered up by the government and how is it going?
4: Yeah, of course, certainly a rush to supply aid and figure out if or how to rebuild. You know, a couple of big concerns stemming from this. First and foremost, the fact that so many people do not have insurance, either because the insurance companies have started to pull out of the region or they've deemed many of these areas too risky, or people simply didn't think that they needed insurance. They thought that their homeowner's insurance would cover this type of flood, which it oftentimes doesn't. So there's likely to be a role there for the federal government to assist with uh, reconstruction and rebuilding and aid. Uh, in the short Short term, though, this is going to be a massive cleanup effort that takes months and months and months. You've got thousands of people who are unable to return home if their homes are still standing at all. Uh, you've still got about half a million people without power. And, of course, there's the more immediate needs of food and water and search and recovery.
1: Jackson, the midterm elections coming up fast. And it looks like some so-called election deniers will be on the ballots. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, we're just a month away from those midterm elections and election
4: deniers. These are people who have spread Donald Trump's lie that the 2020 election was stolen. They are on the ballot in a majority of states. Uh, About 60 percent of American voters will see one at least one Republican candidate for one level of office who is an election denier on the ballot. Here's the funny thing about all this, though. A lot of these are incumbent Republicans. And, of course, elections in the U.S., it's one big fat ballot where you've got every office up at the exact same time. So these are Republicans who were elected at the same time as Joe Biden back in 2020. They don't question the results of their own elections, but they sure question the results of Joe Biden's election (laughs) on the exact same ballot. That's where we're at right now. I think, if nothing else, it's a sad statement about the state of American democracy that so many of these deniers are on the ballot at various levels. But also, from a practical standpoint, they are running for offices like governor and secretary of state and attorney general in many of these states. And those are jobs with direct oversight over how future elections will be conducted, including the 2024 presidential election. Yeah,
0: That's a little scary, isn't it? Important positions. Uh, Let's talk about this because I found this really interesting. And I'm, I'm wondering if you know how many people, but President Biden pardoning everyone convicted of marijuana possession under federal law and now is going to review how the drug is classified. I'm guessing that's a huge number of people, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, I mean, we're talking about thousands of people here. I'm not sure if anybody's been able to, to quantify it specifically yet, uh, but, you know, uh, of federal data uh, for for simple simple possession charges, the early estimates are about 6,500 people. Um, Biden is also encouraging the states to pardon people convicted of state-level offenses for the exact same thing, simple possession of marijuana. And, yeah, they want to reclassify the drug. Right now it's a Schedule I substance in the U.S., which means it's categorized the same way as uh, LSD, for example. It's actually categorized categorized at a more strict level than fentanyl Uh, and they're saying look it's time to reevaluate that Uh, there is a broader push of course to decriminalize that especially when so many states have fully legalized marijuana use
1: Mm -hmm. hearing news that the u.s has pledged an additional 625 million dollars in aid for ukraine what is the u.s planning to send to support ukraine can you tell us what's within this package yeah, you know, it's, it continues to be
4: about the, the longer-range weapons, uh, and those are really what seem to have sort of changed the the dynamic for Ukrainian forces, the fact that they can target Russian operations, they can sort of encircle them and really push them back. And kind of an interesting note here, back in the summer, uh, American support for continuing to supply aid to the Ukraine amongst the average pop- uh, population was only around 50%. Today, that number is well over 60%, owing in large part to the fact that Ukraine has been so successful with the tools that it has been given.
0: Uh, Final question for you before we run out of time, but uh, let's talk about uh, the Justice Department telling Donald Trump's lawyers they believe he didn't actually return all the files that were taken from the White House. What's the latest on the Trump saga?
4: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to drag on for quite some time here. Uh, You've got that. uh, You've got the fact that uh, Trump has appealed uh, this whole special master situation to the Supreme Court. Essentially, it's churning its way, of course, through uh, the various levels of the Justice Department. And it's kind of a wait-and-see situation right now to determine and whether or not there will be charges, whether or not a grand jury will find that there's reason to move forward. And, of course, the one sort of factor in all this is the midterm elections. There is sort of a written rule that you don't take uh, moves that can be seen as political in the lead up to elections. And even though Trump himself is not on the ballot on November 8th, you have to think that this crosses into that territory and might explain why nothing has really happened here for the past few weeks on this front.
1: Hey, Jackson, we were talking Turkey earlier. Doesn't have to be turkey, but here's the million-dollar question. The most important food item, and you can't say wine, on the Thanksgiving table for you, what what do you have to have for Thanksgiving?
4: Oh, stuffing. It's it's all about the stuffing. And you know what? If you have leftover stuffing, throw that in the waffle iron the next morning and make stuffing waffles. You will not be sorry. Sue told
1: me about that. She loves it.
0: I love it. You're my hero with that one. Yes, completely agree. Well, uh, happy Canadian Thanksgiving to you, because I know you're Canadian even though you live down in Washington. Thanks for your time this morning.
4: You as well. Have a great weekend.
0: You too. Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief.